<laughs> it's, a, it's all right. Thanks, Wayne. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I joined it. All right. <laughs> Good morning, church. Uh, I serve at Lincoln Christian University, but it wasn't always named that. Uh, when I was a student, I graduated from Lincoln Christian College. When I went to graduate school, I went to graduate school at Lincoln Christian Seminary. And before my day, before I was a twinkle in my mama's eye, it was called Lincoln Bible Institute. And in 1944, when Lincoln Bible Institute got its start, there were two people that were at the forefront of that. Earl Hargrove, our founding president, and Charles Mills. Charles Mills was our probably our first faculty member. And that first day of class in September of 1944, in that rented room on the second floor of a building with 15 students, eight women and seven men, he taught a class on church history. And the first thing he said when he got that group together was this, I love the church. And I want you to know something, so do I. It is the church that brought me into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It was the church that took this scroungy, ragtag kid and gave him a focus and a direction and a hope and a sense of community and a place of belonging and a kingdom mission. And there would have been no Lincoln Christian University for me. There would have been no ministry for me were it not for the church. I love the church. And I want you to know something. So does he. He loves the church. I want you to hear what he says about it. Here's what he says about you. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And death itself doesn't stand a chance against you. Hear that? Death itself cannot defeat you. You are his church. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. The son of God paid the ultimate price for you. He loves you. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God is not done doing his thing in you. God loves the church. And in Ephesians 3, my favorite. His intent was that now through the what? Through the what? Oops. Let me put it up there. There you go. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. Unless you get confused by that and wonder how on earth can you be effective in the heavenly realms, you need to know that in the book of Ephesians, whenever Paul says the heavenly realms, he means where Jesus is. And where Jesus is, that's where you are. You are his church. He loves you and you have been chosen, selected, set apart to share the manifold wisdom 
of the kingdom of God. What an amazing responsibility God has given to us. I have heard, oftentimes heard the church described as God's plan A. I disagree. I don't think it's the church is God's plan A. Because you see, plan A would insinuate the existence or the possible creation of a plan B. And there is no plan B. We're it. You're the only bride the groom's got. You're the only one he wants. The church got its start back in Acts chapter 2. And everything just felt, everything just felt so new. You know that feeling? That new feeling? You ever buy a new car? Just sit in it and go, ah. It even smells different. I found out a few years ago, they set you up for that. They put that smell in there on purpose. There's something about newness, isn't there? It's like, yes. You get behind the wheel of that baby and go, oh, this baby's mine. Well, maybe it's the banks for a while, but it's going to be mine. In Acts chapter 2, we have that newness, don't we? We have that, we have that new spirit, fresh spirit. Being breathed into a new people, giving them a new purpose as a new community, Christ's church. And it's my prayer that we become like the new church in Acts chapter 2. Now what's interesting about Acts 2, if you want to turn there, that would be great because I'd love you to see the text as a whole. In Acts chapter 2, what, what, it's funny, the word church isn't used here. In our text today, the word church isn't there, but the idea is. I want you to catch what Luke says about who these people are. Who is the church? Well, go to Acts chapter 2, start in verse 41. Those who accepted his message, Acts 2, 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized. Who's the church? you those who accepted his message those who heard what jesus did those who accepted that sacrifice and responded to that sacrifice with repentance and baptism those people were added to the number and about three thousand were added that day and then we get a sense of what this church is like and what it is supposed to be and if you're interested in setting up a blueprint a picture about what the church could be and should be here at countryside i would say acts 2 42 through 47 is a great place to start look what he says it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were there and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together. In the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I don't know about you, I'm a checklist guy. I keep a list on my desk every day and I check it off. What did I get done? What do I still have to do? And I want you to see this morning, there are a few checklist items. 
If you want to evaluate yourself, you want to figure out as, as a church, as a community, as a people who have heard the message, received the message, been changed by the message, if you want to make sure that you are doing what it is that you are supposed to be doing, I would say the checklist in Acts 2 is probably a good place to begin. Starting in verse 42. Checklist item number one. Worship accomplished. Verse 42, they said they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So checklist item number one is that worship is accomplished. Notice it doesn't just describe what these people do. I love Luke's description of worship in Acts 2.42. It's not what the people do. It's what they are devoted to doing. Because you see, there's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference between doing stuff that you feel you ought to do. Oh, it's Sunday. We ought to. We're in church. We ought to. Right? And what we're devoted to, what we're sold out to, what we believe in all our hearts is the way in which the kingdom of God can be made known to everyone around us. What is it that you are devoted to doing? I love this. He says we're devoted to the apostles' teaching. That is the word of God. We are devoted to the word of God. Now, you may not know this guy, but after Johnny Carson on Late Night, it was a guy named Jay Leno. If you don't know who he is, kids, Google him. Jay Leno was, well, he, he was Jimmy Fallon. Okay, so do that if that helps. All right? And Jay Leno would go out and do what he would call man-on-the-street interviews, person-on-the-street interviews. He would go out and ask questions of people, and he would just totally embarrass them because, the fact, that most of the time they had, no, they had no idea what the answer was to the questions. And so he would go up to somebody, and he went up to somebody one time, and he said, who lives at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Crickets. No clue. And then he said to the same person, he said, who lives in a pineapple under the sea? And everybody chimed in, SpongeBob SquarePants. They all knew that one. It is amazing to me what it is that we know and don't know. It's amazing what it is that we are willing to discover. And what we're not. There's a story in the Sermon on the Mount. It's actually recorded for us twice. Once in Matthew's Gospel and once in Luke's. It's about two men. One who builds a house on a rock. Another who builds a house on sand. I have a theory. I don't know if it's accurate or not. It's a parable. So I don't know if it needs to be accurate. But I have a feeling. I have a suspicion that they were next door neighbors. They built their properties on the same piece of land. So why did one house make it and the other one didn't? Luke, Matthew doesn't do this, but Luke kind of breaks it down for us a little differently. Look what he says. He says they're like a man building a house who what? Who what? I'm getting deaf. Who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. Then, when the flood came, then the torrent struck the house. But yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on a rock. 
What's the difference between the man who built his house on rock and the man who built his house on sand? Guys, the man who built his house on rock brought a shovel. That's the difference. Same storm, same winds, same struggles, same frustrations, same difficulties. One man's house is left standing when it's all said and done. The other one's gone. Why? Because they were devoted to the word of God. They were devoted to the scriptures of God that changed their life and everything about them. Their secret wasn't in amazing construction abilities. It was in the foundational desire to dig deep. What are you devoted to? I want to be devoted to the fellowship. Do you remember that? They were devoted to the word of God and to the fellowship. Everybody might have a favorite scripture in the Bible. I would say my favorite scripture is Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. You've heard me quote it before. Where it says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers, I always pray with joy. Because, it's good. When you see the word because in scripture, you should stop. Because there's a reason coming up. There's a reason why the Apostle Paul prays with joy. There's a reason why Paul remembers the church of Philippi. And he remembers them because of their what? Partnership. Love that word. Koinonia. Cool Greek word. Koinonia. Sounds cool. Paul uses that word lots of times in Philippians. In the next chapter, Philippians 2, he says, if you have any fellowship with the Spirit, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, being one in spirit and in purpose. Philippians chapter 3, he says, um, we participate in Christ's sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead, we participate, same word. It's the same word that's used in Acts chapter 2. Luke tells us that the early church was sold out on the koinonia. And koinonia does not mean potluck. Koinonia means partnership. It means connection means participation, living life together as a body of believers to walk with those people who will help you to be more like Jesus. That's what the good work of the gospel is. That's the good work that God is going to finish in us. It is the good work of his message lived in and through his people every single day so that when he returns, he will find us faithful. That's the goal. The goal isn't numbers. The goal isn't so many numbers. The goal is to be faithful with what it is that our Lord has blessed us with. The deposit that he has put in us. Have we been faithful? The fellowship is where we can see that happening. May we be devoted to the breaking of the bread. That's literally what Luke says. The breaking of the bread. You know what that is. 
You just took it together. Luke reminds the reader that communion, the Lord's Supper, is one of the most integral parts of worship. Paul would later call it a remembrance, but Paul also calls it something else. And I love this verse. Look what he calls it. He says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you what? Proclaim. You see, communion is is one of the most incredible acts of worship that you can do as a body of believers. Communion is at the same time intensely personal and corporate all at once. It's intensely personal because it's a time between you and God. It's a time to reflect on his sacrifice and our response. But it's also a corporate act. We share together as a body of believers. We break bread together. We take the cup together and we proclaim to the world. This is who he is and this is who we are. We are a body of believers. We are a family. We are a community. We are people who are devoted to one another and devoted to helping one another become like Jesus Christ. What is it you are devoted to? May we be devoted to prayer. He says the church was devoted to prayer. I love how Greg Pruitt describes prayer. Greg Pruitt says the prayer is not a strategy. Prayer is the strategy. It's the only way by which it happens. It's the only way that the church is able to, and it blows my mind how God resonates with prayer. If you ever want to read something about prayer, it's not up on the screen because I'm just winging this one. Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8 actually begins back in Revelation chapter 4. And it goes all the way through. And you read Revelation 4 and you've got the worship. And you've got the, the scroll with the seven seals. And there is none who is worthy. And in the midst of it, John in his weeping realizes that no one is worthy to, to, to take off the seals to the scroll. To unwrap the scroll and read the contents. And then he turns and he is confronted at that point not by a lion but by a lamb. A lamb whose blood was shed. He's worthy. And Revelation 5, 6, and 7 are the seven seals being opened one by one and everything else that goes with it. And then at the beginning of Revelation chapter 8, the last seal is broken. And John says there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. My dad always used to say that was proof that women aren't in heaven. But that's not what yeah. That's not what's going on. That was my dad trying to be funny. <laughs> Revelation chapter 8, there was silence in heaven for half an hour. And then it tells us that there was a pot of incense. And that incense is brought before the Lord. And John tells us in Revelation chapter 8 what that incense is. 
You know, sometimes you read something in Revelation and you don't know what the reference is or what it's referring to. In Revelation 8, we know what the incense is. The incense is the prayers of the saints. He tells us. And he brings that incense up and Revelation 8 tells us that God breathes in those prayers and that he responds with fire and thunder and lightning on the earth in response to the prayers of the people of God. Why is there silence in heaven for half an hour? There is silence because my God is listening to you. That's why there's silence. In all the midst of the worship and the elders and the angels gathered around circling and the millions upon millions that you cannot even count singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And my God says, silence! My child is praying. And I need to hear my child pray. Are you devoted to the prayer? Are you devoted to that time with God? Because here's what happens when you devote yourselves. Checklist item number two. People get amazed. Look what he says. He says, everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall in the community of the church of Acts and hear what the people are saying about the church in Acts? Wouldn't you love to have been in the marketplace for that discussion? In fact, Acts chapter 5, this blows my mind. Acts chapter 5 tells me a couple things about the church. It's right after the whole Ananias and Sapphira thing happened. It tells me two things are going on simultaneously in the church. It tells me, number one, that the church is growing by leaps and bounds and that everyone was scared to join. And those two things in and of themselves don't necessarily line up until you think about it. You got people that want to be a part of the church, but man, eh? did you hear about Ananias and Sapphira? I don't know about this. They lied and died. I don't know if I want to be a part of that or not. Do you wonder what, do you wonder what people out there say about you? I do. You ever wonder what the conversation is out and about in the town about countryside? You know, I used to, I used to worry when I was young in youth ministry. I was young and stupid in youth ministry. I used to worry about people talking bad about me. And I remember I had a youth group kid one time that kind of pulled me off to the side and said, Tracy, don't worry about it when most people speak bad about you. Because to be honest with you, most people don't speak about you at all. <laughs> Truth. Kaboom. People don't speak about you at all. You know, I'm not worried. I'm not worried about countryside being spoken about badly out there. If I were you, the thing I'd worry about is countryside being irrelevant out there. I wouldn't worry so much about them talking bad. If they're talking smack, at least they're talking. I'd much rather them talk. Than not. 
I encourage you. Sounds like you got somebody coming in a couple weeks. Awesome. I encourage you to make it your mission, countryside, to become irreplaceable in this community. Do something for the sake of the kingdom of God that if you were to close your door someday in the future, these people around here wouldn't have a clue what to do with themselves. I encourage you to be relevant. And how do you become relevant? Well, you become devoted to those things in Acts 2.42. You become devoted to the word of God. You become devoted to the fellowship. You become devoted to the proclamation of the gospel. You become devoted to prayer. And when you are devoted, the result is people around you are going to lose their ever-loving minds. They're not going to know what to do with you. And that's a good thing. Everyone was amazed. I'm number three. Needs met. Needs met. Verse 45. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Um, back in 1983, uh, we had a lady in, in the church where I serve at now um, who heard a sermon about using her talents to make a difference for the kingdom. So her and a buddy got together and said, why don't we start this thing where people can, on a once-a-year basis, make some stuff, bring it to the church, sell it, and we will reap the harvest of talents. That's what they call it. I've looked at the numbers. I've got the numbers for every year since this thing started. started very small. But they kept going. This year they celebrated their 36th year of Harvest of Talents. And in those 36 years, they have raised $2.4 million to feed hungry people and teach them about Jesus. What is it that you can do what if the people in this church knew for certain? What if your people knew for certain that if they had a legitimate need, a legitimate physical need, they knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that the church would be there for them? Now, I want you to think about this for a minute because oftentimes we think that they know that. We convince ourselves that they know, oh, they know they can come to us. Well, number one, sometimes people don't want to come to somebody else. Because they don't want to admit that they've got a physical need. They don't want to admit that something's short. They don't want to admit that the bills are tight. They don't want to admit that the situation is not good. They don't want to admit they got a hole in their roof that ain't getting any better. They don't want to admit it. They'll never tell you in a million years. But what if you made the decision to get into your people's lives and know them and provide a venue where they could come with their needs and respond to that need? What if every family in this church made a conscious decision, a prayerful decision, I'm going to sell something in my house and give the money to the church? Now, I'm not talking about a car, although that might be something you have. It could just be the clothes in your closet that you haven't worn in five years. 
It could be something small. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not telling you how much to give. But you would take whatever it was, whether it's $10 or $50 or $100 or $1,000 or $5,000 or whatever it is, and you bring that money to the church and you celebrate together with that money. And with that money, you put it together in a big pot and you take that money and you make a difference in the life of somebody within your congregation. You change something about their path because you have been faithful with the resources that God has given you. I'm going to tell you something right now. As soon as you do it the first time, you'll have to do it a hundred more times because the doors will be busting in this place. Because people are going to want to know what's going on here. And they're going to want to be a part of that. And then you get to sit down with them and teach them the hard things about being a part of the community of God. That this isn't just a place where you get, get, get. But this is a place where you live in community and give in community and share in community. And if we are going to be giving to you, we certainly expect you to give to us. So that we can function together as his church. One of the greatest tools of evangelism, guys. One of the greatest tools of evangelism is your heart for your brothers and sisters. That's where it starts. That, guys, that's the church in Acts 2. Guys, the church in Acts 2 was not a benevolence ministry. That's not what it was. It was a, it was a ministry to people within the body of believers. That doesn't mean you ignore the folks out there. Of course not. <laughs> But what that does mean is that you spend time and energy to meet the needs of the people that you have right here in this place. And this may be the last time you ever hear a preacher tell you this, but I want to tell you this today. Don't ignore the people here. Those people need you too. And when you do that, when you commit to them, word gets out quick enough. And when word gets out quick, people will begin to respond. Now, I'm going to tell you, some of the folks that are going to respond, they ain't going to look like you. So then you're going to have to ask yourself a question, who are we? Are we called to go and gather? Are we called to seek and save the lost? Isn't that what Jesus said? Something about seeking and saving that which was lost? Lost people kind of look ragged sometimes, don't they? You've been lost in the woods long enough? You go out and live among the wolves for a few years? You're looking pretty rough. Some of those people come in, man. They're going to be looking pretty rough. Who are you called to be? You called to save people who look like me? Are you called to save Everyone, no matter what they look like. Checklist number four, relationships built. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. It's not about focusing on yourselves and ignoring the world. It's about living in such wonderfully beneficial and contagious community that others cannot stop talking about it and wanting to be a part of it. Now, the cynic in me, the skeptic in me, would look at that and go, church every day? Look, I'm with you. I don't necessarily know if this is a call for every day or not, but imagine a gathering 
where there's true praise of God, where needs are continually met, and there is joy when the brothers and sisters get together. Now, I don't know if I could do that every day, but I could do that a lot. And the beauty happens when we take this show on the road, when we live the life outside of these walls, when we take the joy and the praise to the streets, with the Holy Spirit making us glow toward others. Imagine a church with the goal of building relationships that honor God in here and out there. And I, I had somebody one time, I said something about this, and they, they said, I thought Jesus said the church was going to hate us. Yeah, Jesus said that. Jesus said, they hate me, they're probably going to hate you. As a matter of fact, they may even hate you more than they hate me. Fine. But does anybody like you? I get the idea that the world is supposed to hate us. I get that we're supposed to be so countercultural and that we're supposed to be so different that the world doesn't know what to do with us. And I understand that, but goodness gracious, does anybody like you? Does anybody... Does anybody talk good about you? Does anybody appreciate who it is that you are? They may not buy what you're selling, (laughs) but they love you. And they love your heart for the kingdom. Man, Man, that guy from Countryside Christian Church, man, those people are awesome. One more item on the list. Lives changed. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I love how Kyle Eidelman at Southeastern Louisville put it. He said it this way. He said, forget about the numbers for a minute. Give me a name. Tell me a story. Sometimes numbers make us sad, don't they? You know, you come into church looking, you're looking for a preacher in your time of transition. It's a Sunday morning in February and it's rainy and it's gross. And you come in and you're like looking around going, oh man. Numbers make us sad, don't they? Man, we... We only have this many people in worship. We only have this many baptisms last year. And when those numbers aren't as big as we like them to be, we, we get down. So I'm going to encourage you this morning, okay? Forget the numbers. Forget it. Instead, remind yourself of a name. It might be the name of someone that your family, someone in the family that your church helped at Thanksgiving. Tell me about the person who has been coming to your small group. Tell me about the person who works at the store that you go to every week and knows that you are a Christian and asks you to pray for them because they know that you are a believer in Jesus Christ and somehow you have a hotline to the throne. Tell me about those people. Remember, it is we that plant and water, but it is God who gives the growth. 
The language of Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47 is a journey. It is a process toward becoming who are we are called to be. To conform to the image of Christ. In other words, you all look a little more like Jesus every day. So don't stop. I don't necessarily know what the numbers are going to look like, but sometime in the next year or so when your preacher gets in place and you guys are rolling a year from now, he needs a vacation week or something and Wayne or Don or whoever calls the school and says, hey, can somebody come and preach for him while he's gone? And I show up here a year later, I want to see fruit. I want to see you looking more like Jesus. I want to see you loving more like Jesus. I want to see you serving more like Jesus. I want to see you devoted to prayer, devoted to fellowship, devoted to the community, devoted to the proclamation of the gospel. And when that happens, my heart sings. I want to hear a story. I want to hear a story about how true worship leads to amazed people who enjoy their real needs being met and who bask in the relationship that the community offers with one another and with Jesus. And that community results in a changed life. Jesus Christ Loves his church. Let's make him proud. Lord, we come before you today. Knowing we're not there yet. And that's okay. Because you are doing a work in us. And that work is through the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And I... I know that one day when it's all said and done, you're going to finish what you start. But as we wait, may you find us faithful. May you find us faithful to your calling to be devoted to your word. To be devoted to prayer and to the fellowship of the body, the participation in life as a community and the proclamation of the gospel. Every time we gather and remember and celebrate your death and burial and resurrection, we take that cup, we take that bread, and we proclaim your name. Father, I thank you for those in the community who will be absolutely amazed by what Countryside does. I don't know how many numbers we're talking about. That's, that's you, But there will be stories of changed lives. And those changed lives will be happening right here. And before long, there will be people that will just clamor to be here because they recognize what this place and these people are all about. And they're going to come here with a little bit of fear and trepidation because they realize they can't come here and play around. But because they're serious about you, because you have changed their lives, they are ready to be a part of community that's about your business. And Father, we know we're on a journey. We're not there yet. But as we walk, may you find us faithful to your call. And when 
it's all said and done, may you get the glory for what you are about to do. We thank you.